Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1, is what the Bible records. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethany to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things Jesus did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? As we dive into the scriptures together this morning as a community, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for this, this sweet gift this morning just to read your word. Uh, Would we never forget just the miracle that it is that we get to be in this place, in the public, and read your word out loud. How amazing just that gift is. We thank you for it. We ask that you would tune our hearts right here and right now to whatever it is that you want to speak to us. That you would reveal your word to us. That you would expose the dark and wicked, distasteful places in our hearts and that you would whisper beloved to them. That you would take your word and that you would make it come alive. That you would show us who you really are. We, we want to know you. We want your presence. It's all that we desire. So would you give us right now enough courage, just even for the next few minutes and moments, to really lean into whatever it is that you want to do to us, in us, around us, and with us. We love you and we give you all glory. It's in your mighty name, Jesus, all the beloved said. Amen. Uh, do you ever notice that we as humanity, uh, we're always praising something or someone? That we're always looking for praise from something or someone. Uh, That no matter who you are, it's really easy in our culture to be fixed on praising or seeking praise. That the like button was created in this wicked and wasteful hunt for praise. Or the corporate ladder was created for an aching to be fulfilled that is within us to be praised. That parenting and friendships in the classroom have turned into platforms that are built off of praise for one another rather than just the unique belovedness that we are given as image bearers. That all of the news or social media is just a platform for high praise or a desire for high praise of self. That society is built on praise. And that I would say in all of our praising and all of our desire to be praised, it is rooted in the lie that says love comes from comparison. That because our broken and fragmented praising or desire to be praised is most of the time, if not all of the time, praise in comparison to something or someone else. 
praise in comparison to him or her or them. That we believed a lie in humanity that is deep down and it snuck its way into the church that our belovedness is based off comparison. Based off the person sitting next to us or around us or the person that pops into our head that we instantaneously think that we might be better than or that they might be better than us. That as long as our sin is hidden, our brokenness is beneath us and it isn't as bad as theirs, it'll all be okay because compared to them, ah! I'm worthy of some sort of praise, right? And you see, the problem with disordered praise is that it leads to a disordered heart. And that's why this Palm Sunday story of Jesus entering as the King of glory, getting all of the praise, is so beautiful and so freeing. Because in the fulfillment and declaration of His kingship, Jesus, He clears all categories and He smashes all systems. That Palm Sunday leads us into a life of proper and true praise. But only if we are willing to humble ourselves so Jesus can be exalted. Only if we are willing to invite Him into our disordered hearts and allow Him to clear everything else out. Let's take a peek at the story together. Verse 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Saying, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. I mean, really imagine that. The king, the creator of the cosmos, he rides into the city, not on a stallion, but on a small donkey. And not just that, but a borrowed one. The significance of this is so awesome because it shows us that Jesus really, truly is gentle and lowly. That he's the person of peace, the prince of peace. That he is consistent in his nature and character even when he is declaring his power, rule, reign, and kingdom. Tim Keller says Jesus coming in to rule and he's coming in to save, not by taking power and killing, but by losing power and dying. That he's going to triumph through weakness. Isn't that beautiful? Why? So that we as his followers... That we can only come to salvation through weakness, through repenting and admitting our need. That we are not saved by our good works or a strong Savior that rides in on a stallion into the city. No, in absolute humility, we are saved in our brokenness by the King who chooses to ride on the back of a beast. So that all of humanity could easily see how gentle and good the Father's heart really is. The passage goes on, verse 7 through 9. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks. And Jesus sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So Jesus, he comes in. And the people are pumped. They're shouting, declaring that he's king. And Jesus in this moment, he's fulfilling all different kinds of prophecies. Zechariah 9 is the fulfillment that, that's what Matthew quotes in this passage. But even deeper than that, Jesus fulfilling a monumental moment in the entire narrative of scripture. All the way back to Genesis chapter 22. The story of Abraham and Isaac. Maybe you're familiar with it. This man by the name of Abraham, he's been waiting a long time to have a son and and God finally comes through and it's awesome and Abraham's faithfulness to God is unmatched. 
And one day the scripture records in Genesis 22 that Abraham, he's supposed to go up on the mount and sacrifice his only son Isaac to the Lord. Hold on. What? A father sacrificing his son? Did we read that right? Not a popular story in the Western church. But it shows us that if we withhold anything from the Lord our God, we might as withhold everything. And the Bible records Abraham, he puts Isaac on a donkey and he sets off for the mount just a few miles from the city. And Isaac said to his father, here's the fire and here's the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Eh? Like, Pops, what gives? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And a few moments go by, and it's a hard story to hear or comprehend, but the Bible records, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But just before, the angel of the Lord called to him and said from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. And the angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and if you're familiar with the story, there's a lamb that's provided in the thicket, and Abraham, he called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That sound familiar? Here in this moment, on this Palm Sunday, Jesus, he, he rides in on a donkey, and he's on the crest of a mount just a few miles from the city, and he's doing the will of the Father, for his Father put him there. And he will be the one provided by God as the one true and final sacrifice. A father sacrificing his son. Did we read that right? That Jesus, he rides in on the back of a borrowed beast, declaring the truth that he is king, fulfilling what was spoken about by him, riding in as king and as sacrifice. And in doing so, he rides into his death. And he comes in with the multitude shouting that he is king and he is Hosanna and blessed is he. But what that means is something far different than what the people suspected. They want to conquer someone, a king, to defeat the Romans, to establish a rule and a reign as the people see fit. They could care less for the desires of God. They wanted however it works out best for them. And the Romans, they ain't working out best for them. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And if you were familiar with the passages in that day, in that time period, if you were a Jew especially, you would have thought, oh yeah, it's going to be good. He's going to go straight to the Roman guards. Straight for the hierarchy of power. He's going to go straight for the powers at play, and it's about to be good. So verse 10, and when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They're all watching with bated breath, anxious anticipation, getting all psyched for what's going to happen. The Romans are about to pay. Our king has come. And Jesus he rides in, into Jerusalem, and he rides straight into the temple? Wait a minute. Verse 12, and Jesus entered the temple, drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, 
And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Jesus, I, I think you took a wrong turn. There's no Romans even in the temple. The powers that play are over there. What, what are you doing? Jesus, he gets into the temple and he starts driving the religious people out. He starts kicking over carts and flipping tables. It's like the king is bringing order to what is most disordered. But wait, why the temple? He comes in, the people joyously declare him king, shout Hosanna. And this is not what they expected. Because they wanted to conquer to make their life easier. But you see what Jesus is after is the disordered hearts of humanity. That so often you and I were completely okay with Jesus as king until it means our disordered hearts need some ordering. That we are completely okay with Christianity moving this way into the neighborhood until that means we actually have to love our neighbor. That we are completely okay until withholding anything from the Lord our God is the same as withholding everything from him. And Jesus, he comes into the temple in verse 13. He says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. You see, the people of the day thought the Romans were the issue of the day. The people of the day thought that it was exterior things that were the issue of what was going on when the sin that still swells in the hearts of humanity is and has always been the oppression of the people. The thing that causes death, decay, and destruction. That is within us. It's in our hearts. In the temple, it's the heart of the city. The temple is the place where we are supposed to easily and freely be able to connect and see what the God who absolutely loves us is like. And Jesus, in the first time in the narrative of Scripture, He is exalted King by the people. And He goes to where the people are in His first order as rule and reign is to clear everything else out. So it's easy for the whosoever to come and connect with the Heavenly Father. Because the powers at play are not exterior. No, 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 no. We don't battle flesh and blood. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That the battle is not with the beloved next to you. It never has been. The battle is within your heart. And we keep trying to blame everything and everyone else. Just like the people in this passage. Wanting to blame the Romans. Wanting to blame their situation and circumstance. When the sin that swells within me is what keeps me farthest and only from the Lord God who absolutely loves me. That you and I, we keep claiming empty victory. Because we try to fix it on our own. That with no declaration that Jesus is king and giving our allegiance to him, there is no victory over sin and death. Because you see, we all want victory before the cross. We all want victory before any hint of dissatisfaction, distaste, or discomfort. That we want victory without ever having to steep lower. Without ever having to face defeat or death. But in the kingdom of Jesus, true and real victory only ever comes after resurrection. And it is in the resurrection, renewal, and revival of all things that by its very definition is something dead coming to life again. 
that you and I find hope for our hearts and our souls. Because Jesus, you see, he invites us into his kingdom. He invites us into his life by declaring that he is king. By declaring that our hearts are disordered. But take heart. He has made room for us to get in. That's why he goes into the temple. That's why he clears the temple out. Because remember the next verse? And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. Or as Eugene Peterson masterfully puts it, now there was room for the hurting and the broken to get in. Now there was room for me to get in. Now there was room for you to get in. Now there was room for you and I to get in. And the Bible records that children are shouting with joy in the temple, Hosanna to the king, the son of David. The king has come and he has made room for us. He has invited us in. And they came to Jesus and he healed them. He healed them, but only by way of humility. Because the only way someone can be healed is if they first know that they're sick. Do you know that you're sick and that you need healing? They could only be healed because they were confessing sin and declaring their need. Do you know that you have sin and that you have need? That they could only come in humility like that which of Jesus came in himself and entered. Not roaring in valor, pride, pedigree, and resume. No! Lowly, gentle, with a heart of humility. Because our king, he clothes himself in humility so we could be clothed in his holiness. That we might wrap ourselves in repentance because in the declaration of Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The declaration that Jesus is king. That is the only way that our disordered hearts be cleared out like that of the temple. So that the spirit of God can come and dwell within us. So the Spirit of God can come and take up residency within us. That is what we are now. Did you know that? The temple of God. That the Spirit himself dwells in us. That's what Peter says to his first letter to the church. That you and I, we are being built together as living stones. Or Paul in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And the Spirit dwells in you. That's why Jesus rides into Jerusalem. That's why Jesus rides straight to the temple. He rides in on a donkey, people shouting Hosanna, and he goes straight to the temple to clear out all religion, to clear out all systems, to clear out all categories, to make a way. To make a way for all of humanity to come to know the truth that the Heavenly Father absolutely, positively, desperately loves you and I. That so often we think God is upset with me. Or God is too, too far from me. Or I'm too far from Him. Or I'm a mess. Or my heavy's too heavy. Or my brokenness is too broken. Or my family is chaos. Or the wounds cut too deep. My sin, my shame, my story. There's no way God's looking at me with a heart of love. There's no way that He's made a way for me. Oh, He cleared the disordered temple. So that nothing would be in your way so you could come to him. He rode into Jerusalem that day declared king. Which meant that the cross was coming next. And when the cross came. And when the Savior hung on it. His only thought was you. Because the heavenly father's heart is fixed on you. Loving towards you. 
constantly and consistently desiring to give you life. Heal those wounds, set free that shame, and take the disorder of our hearts and bring peace to them. Bring order into the chaos of our life. His delight is to love you. The question is, will we trust the goodness of our king? Will we trust and declare him as king? Will we invite him in? Not just out of prayer, not just in a prayer to gathering, but an everyday act of joyful obedience. Because you see, it's the laying down of the cloak or the palm branch turning into the laying down of our lives. It's the shouting of Hosanna that turns into a joyful repentance, making way for the King Jesus to come into the city, to come into the temple, to come into our hearts and clear everything else out so that all that remains is Him. To be like the children in the temple that day, shouting for joy because Jesus has made room for the least of these. To not have our own agenda, but instead surrender the will of the Father. Because all that we are now is God's temple. And the Spirit dwells within us. To have our hearts become ordered. Because our praise is ordered and no longer disordered. Because our praise is fixed on the King. Who is exalted not on a throne but on a cross. Praise to a King who is exalted not on a stallion but on a small donkey. Praise to a king who rides in on a dusty road covered in dirty cloaks and branches surrounded by imperfect people. Praise to a king that will soon be crucified by those same people. Praise to a king that will cause all of earth to shake and the rocks to cry out because the glory of the king cannot be contained. Praise to the king who has made room for broken, hurting, prideful, and sin-filled people to get in. Not by our own efforts, but by his blood. Not by our works, but by His grace. Not by our character, but by the work of His cross. By the perfect love in His hands for all of humanity. Because the triumphal entry that day in Jerusalem, it was the pathway to life, but only because the King chose death on our behalf. So that we would never have to. Because in, through, and with Jesus, we are invited into a whole new way to be human. With an ordered heart, recreated whole and new by the one who made it. By the one who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. By the one whose kindness leads us to repentance. By the one who is provided on the mount fully and completely. By the one who has not withheld his son, his only son from us. Do you see it? Just how much he loves you. Just how much we need the gospel every single day to remind us that this society cannot be built on praise of ourselves or another person. It must be centered and built on the praise of the king who in humility rode in on that Palm Sunday with life in his hands and with our praises fixed on the person of Jesus. Our hearts become ordered and we together as a community, we joyfully, Welcome the King of glory in. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you that you did not withhold your son, your only son from us. We thank you, Father God, that you always keep your promises. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to give us a new heart, a new way of life. Life and life to the full. We thank you that you come and you clear everything else out. 
Not so that we would miss out on anything, but so that we could gain the one thing, the only thing that matters, and that's you. I ask Holy Spirit right here and right now that you would move in our community together. That you would order our disordered hearts. That our praise would be fixed on you. That our lives would be fixed on you. That we would live into a daily and joyful repentance and obedience to you. That we would not withhold anything from you. So that you could have everything with us. So that you could have all of us. We desire your presence to come and move in this place. We desire your presence to come and move in our hearts. We desire that you would come again and clear out the temple, clear out the religion and the systems and the categories. That you would come again and make it easy for us to see the heart of the Heavenly Father. That we would come alive in the truth that we are called beloved. And that you, King Jesus, are the only one worthy of our praise. We thank you and we love you. And it's in your mighty name, Lord Jesus, all the beloved say, Amen.